Wherever you're gathered this Easter morn, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 19. John 19, one of the famous sayings of Jesus on the cross. We'll be looking at three verses, John 19, 28 through 30. Hear the Word of God. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the Scriptures, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to its mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray. Father, we ask this resurrection day that you would fill our hearts anew and afresh with the hope of the gospel, the hope of the finished work of Christ, and the hope of the resurrection. Continue to strengthen us by your grace and for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Years ago, Tony Campolo was part of a conference. He was participating with several speakers. And after he had spoken, he felt he had done a rather good job. He sat down feeling good about himself and somewhat tongue-in-cheek leaned over to the next speaker and said, top that. Well, the man, an African-American preacher, looked at Campolo and said, watch this. Campolo said that for the next 45 minutes... That man preached in a way he had never heard, and the congregation responded in a way in which he had never seen. And the sermon consisted basically of one line, somewhat a familiar line now. It's Friday, but Sundays are coming. The sermon went something like this. It's Friday, and Jesus is praying, Peter's sleeping, Judas is betraying, but Sundays are coming. It's Friday. Pilate's struggling, the Sanhedrin is conspiring, the crowd is vilified. They don't even know that Sundays are coming. It's Friday, the disciples are running in every direction like sheep without a shepherd. Mary is crying, Peter's denying, but they don't know that Sundays are coming. It's Friday, the Romans beat my Jesus. They robed him in scarlet and crowned him with thorns, but they don't know that Sundays are coming. See Jesus walk into Calvary, his blood dripping, his body stumbling, his spirit burdened. But see, it's, it's only Friday, but Sundays are coming. It's Friday, the world's winning, people are sinning, evil is grinning. It's Friday, but Sundays are coming. The soldiers nail my Jesus' hands to the cross. They nail his feet to the cross. They raise him next to two criminals. It's Friday, but I tell you something... Sundays are coming. It's Friday. The disciples are questioning what's happened to our king. The Pharisees are celebrating. Their scheming has been achieved, but they don't know. It's only Friday, and Sundays are coming. It's Friday. He's hanging on the cross, feeling forsaken by his father, left alone and doubting. Can anybody save him? Oh, it's Friday, but Sundays are coming. 
And this went on for 45 minutes. At the end of the sermon, the pastor shouted, It's Friday, and the entire congregation stood to their feet and responded in shout, But Sunday's a-coming. Oh, how we need to hear this. And how we need to be reminded of this. We live in a fallen world, and we are bruised and broken by that fall. But on a Friday some 2,000 years ago, our Savior was crucified on the cross, and that Sunday came and he was raised again from the dead someone has said that our churches this easter may the buildings may be empty but so is the grave we're reminded this not just on easter morn but every lord's day we gather for we no longer gather on the last day of the week but the first day of the week commemorating every single week that we serve a risen conquering king and Savior. Our passage this morning, it's Friday, and Jesus is hanging on the cross. Many of those surrounding the cross were dejected and fearful. They saw the cross as a sign of defeat, a symbol of a thwarted and aborted mission. They viewed Jesus as a victim and the cross as a tragedy. But there's one word in the Greek text. One word that reminds us the cross was not a loss. One word that reminds us that far from a victim, Jesus was a victor. And far from a tragedy, his death was a triumph. In this one word, writes A.W. Pink, is wrapped up the gospel of God. In that word is contained the ground of the believer's assurance In that word is discovered the sum of all joy and the very spirit of divine consolation. And what is that one word? Tetelestai. It is finished. Jesus cried out, not in tragedy, but in triumph. It is finished. You see, the very purpose for which he came was accomplished, it was finished. And the cross, the way it's stated in verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the Scriptures. What's taking place here is a fulfillment and not a failure. How so? The Scriptures spoke long beforehand of Jesus' life and death and burial. The Scriptures reminded us that the Savior would first suffer. Jesus said so himself, of how he was a fulfillment of the Scriptures. Luke 24, Jesus said, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds to see that they could understand the Scriptures. And he told him, this is what was written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Where did the scriptures foretell of this? Well, for example, in Psalm 22, it opens with these lines. Familiar lines, if we're familiar with the Easter story. My God, my God, 
Why have you forsaken me? And then the psalmist goes on and he describes with almost pinpoint accuracy what took place on the cross. Listen, for example, the suffering servant cries out, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by people. All who see me mock me, they hurl insults at me, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord save him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Many bulls surround me. Bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions tearing their prey open their mouths wide against me. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is turned to wax it is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to, sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them as they cast lots for my clothing. If one didn't know any better, one might think this passage was written not 1,000 years before, but after the crucifixion of our Savior. Psalm 22 prophesied the suffering servant in his crucifixion, but what of his resurrection? Psalm 16 speaks of the resurrection. The Father's promise as the Messiah cries out, Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. The Scriptures foretold long before of the life and death and burial and resurrection, and ascension to the right hand of the Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Far from a failure, the cross was a fulfillment. It is finished. But second, Jesus' life of perfect obedience to the law of God was finished. From his earliest days, he was able to say, I always do that which pleases the Father, with unwavering obedience to the righteous demands of the law. And so Jesus not only fulfilled the requirements of the law, the law's demand for perfect obedience, He also fulfilled the law's penalty, which is death. On the cross, Jesus took upon Himself the guilt of our sin, our shame, our misery and his lifeblood was offered as a substitute as a sacrifice of atonement in order to satisfy divine justice in order to fulfill the demands of the law's penalty in order to satisfy the wrath of the living god everything necessary for our salvation has been completed Every aspect of his mission has been accomplished. Everything the scriptures foretold was fulfilled in his life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. It is finished, was his cry. But the question remains, 
What are we to do with the reality of his finished work on the cross? And the answer is that we must rest upon the finished work of Christ. Rest solely upon it and wholly upon it. And trust in Christ alone. In short, we must believe the good news of the gospel. That is John's point in penning his gospel account. Later towards the end of John in the next chapter, we read of the purpose of his writing. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in his name, you may have life. What does this mean? What does it mean to trust Christ? It means that we repent not only of our sin, we repent of our self-righteousness, and we look to Christ alone, we cling to Christ alone for His righteousness and His cleansing blood. It means we see striving to merit God's mercy. It means we trust solely and wholly upon the finished work of Christ. Again, A.W. Pink wrote, We rest our souls on a finished work if we rest them on Christ Jesus our Lord. We have a Savior who has done all, paid all, accomplished all, performed all that is necessary for our salvation. This is what the Apostle Paul meant when he penned in Ephesians 2, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, This not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by work so that no one may boast. Now we need to understand something about this salvation. It is by works. Let me say that again. Salvation is by works. Just not yours and mine. Salvation is has been accomplished by the work of Christ. And so we cling to Him alone. We trust in Him and in His finished work for our salvation. Salvation is not by our works, but it is by His. The great hymn writer Horatio Bonar in 1857 reminds us of that truth to which we cling. Thy works, O Christ, not mine, speak gladness to this heart. They tell me all is done. They bid my fear depart. To whom save thee who canst alone for sin atone, Lord, shall I flee. And so our faith and trust and reliance must be solely upon the person and work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Without that faith in His finished work, there is no reconciliation with God. There is no hope of everlasting life so look to christ alone cling to him in faith rest in his finished work for your salvation it is finished jesus said and finally the finished work of christ gives us great hope in this life and for the life to come When Jesus cried out, it is finished, John tells us he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. That is, he gave up his life. Why? He gave up his life so that we might have new life, resurrected life, eternal life. You know, today we live in a world that is broken. There are wars and 
rumors of wars. There's extreme poverty over vast areas of our globe. There's disease and divorce and death. Today there's the threat and fear and anxiety over COVID-19. And many of us are struggling with isolation and loneliness and fear and anxiety over our health and wealth and futures. But the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ are intended to grant us real hope in this life and the life to come. We read again back in Psalm 22 that spoke of the life and death of Jesus. It points not only to his death, but Psalm 22 points to something else. Listen again to the words of the psalmist. The poor will eat and be satisfied. They will seek the Lord and praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him for dominion belongs to the Lord, and He rules over all the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before Him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve Him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim of His righteousness to all the peoples, to peoples yet unborn. For He has done it. What a wonderful picture of the hope of glory which awaits the saints. A day of uninterrupted worship and celebration and feasting in the presence of our great God and King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Great hope. In 1967, 17-year-old Johnny Erickson Tata dove headfirst into the Chesapeake Bay. She struck her head on the bottom And as a young teenager, was paralyzed from her neck down. In her book, Heaven, Our Real Home, she writes of her struggles in being in church when people were asked to kneel during times of prayer. Being in a wheelchair, she was unable to do so when she so longed to want to join in. On one occasion, with everyone kneeling for prayer, Sticking out like a sore thumb in her wheelchair, she said she began to weep, but they were not tears of sorrow for herself or tears of sorrow in this broken world, but rather they were tears of joy at the prospect of heaven. Listen to what Johnny wrote. Sitting there, I was reminded that in heaven, I will be free to jump up and dance and kick and do aerobics. And sometimes before the guests are called to the banquet table at the wedding feast of the Lamb. The first thing I plan to do on my resurrected legs is to drop on grateful, glorified knees. I will quietly kneel at the feet of Jesus. And then she adds this. I with shriveled Bent fingers, atrophied muscles, gnarled knees, and no feeling from the neck down. Will one day have a new body, light and bright and 
clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling. Can you imagine the hope the resurrection gives someone who is spinal cord injured like me? She asks. Well, can you? And and can you imagine for all of us who struggle with sin and sorrow, who are bruised and broken by the fall, the hope that is ours in the resurrected Christ. Psalm 22 not only speaks of Jesus' death, it speaks of that hope. It gives a picture of a banquet feast of future grace. And it ends with these words, For He has done it. You may have heard me say before, that can also be legitimately translated, it is finished. What is Jesus doing as he's crying out on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he cries out, for he has done it, it is finished I believe with depleting and dying breath, Jesus quotes the first and the last verse of Psalm 22 as if to say, look at the psalm. Look at it again. I am the fulfillment of that psalm. I have done all, obeyed all, offered all, fulfilled all. I am all. All that is needed for your salvation. All that is needed for your eternal joy. All that is your hope of glory and the joy of everlasting life in my presence. Mission accomplished. Far from a failure, it's a fulfillment. It is finished. No tragic cry of a victim. The triumphant shout of a victor who has conquered sin and death and hell for our salvation. You know, it really is strange gathering virtually this Easter morn as I preach to 900 empty seats. I think I've only missed one Easter service that I know of in my 62 years. It was during high school, friends and I went to the beach one weekend And that Sunday morning, we got up, we got dressed, we went to a local church, and as we entered in, the people were standing and singing a glorious hymn to our resurrected Christ. But when they finished the hymn, rather than sitting down, they began to leave. And an elderly lady sitting in front of us, noticing that we came in, turned around and said, forgot to set your watches, didn't you? You see, it was not only Easter morn, It was daylight savings time, and we had indeed forgotten to set our watches. But today's different. We're missing being together, not because we forgot to set our watches, but because of a pandemic, because of the health risk and threat of COVID-19. Many of us are struggling with isolation and loneliness, with the frustration of not being able to return to life as normal, not being able to go back to work, to go to the gym, to gather together with family and friends. I am going through grandchildren withdrawal as I speak. For others, the struggle may be fear and anxiety regarding your health and wealth 
and the uncertainties of the future of our nation and our economy. The novelty of the novel coronavirus has worn off and many of us are worn out. For many, it feels oppressive. It feels like Friday. But on this Easter morn, let me remind you, not only it's Friday, but Sunday's a coming, but it's Friday and Sunday has come. Christ our King has indeed risen victorious from the grave. And though we may continue to experience Friday famines in this fallen world until He returns, one day that ultimate Sunday's a coming will come. And there will be a grand banquet in which we will fall on our glorified, grateful, resurrected knees before Jesus. And then he will lift us up. And then he will seat us at his table. And there we will feast together forever at the table of the king. And we will weep no more. Why? Because on that Friday, Jesus cried out, It is finished. And that Sunday came. We long for the return of our King and Savior and resurrected Lord. Pray with me, please. O Christ, our church buildings may be empty, but so is the tomb. Grant us, we pray, resurrection power in our lives, resurrection hope for the life to come. Fill us by your Spirit, strengthen us by your grace until we gather again together. Work that grace in and among us. Remind us of the power of the resurrection and the reality that He has done all, paid all, accomplished all for our salvation. Indeed, it is finished. For this we give you thanks, we give you praise, and we look forward to that day of uninterrupted feasting upon His return. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.